Welcome to Speakeasy. No drinks, just dialogue with Kansas City's doers and makers. I'm Drew. And I'm Derek. And thanks for listening. We are here today with Caitlin Corcoran, uh, managing partner of Sabah, which is a champagne bar in Kansas City. Uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So uh, first thing, tell us who you are, what Sabah is, and how did you get into the champagne business? Great. So um, my name is Caitlin Corcoran, born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. Right on. Nice. Um, I, uh, Savah is a champagne-focused bar specializing in grower bubbles, which means that the people who grow the grapes also make the wine, which is not super common. Um, and then also we have really great food that focuses kind of on Midwestern cuisine. Um, I got into the champagne business after the coffee business and after the tequila business. So <laughs> those are some uh, nice businesses. There. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always like gravitated towards beverages and especially ones that focus on a sense of place or, um, terroir. Um, I knew I always wanted to get to wine, but I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, and then I was given the opportunity to become on, to come on Savat as general manager. Um, and I jumped at it and, when I got hired, I didn't know a ton about wine or champagne in general, besides that I liked bubbles. Um, and I just started reading everything, studying everything. And we've been open now four years, and I am a level two certified sommelier with the Court of Sommeliers. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they call themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah, I'm one of them. Well, okay, but you, you just you went through kind of your resume. Mm-hmm. You, you're pretty decorated. You were a competitive barista. Mm-hmm. How does that... So, uh, so when I was in high school, I really wanted to work in a restaurant or bar, but obviously as a 15 year old, you can't really like do a lot in the restaurant business. So one of my friends started working at Latte Land on the plaza and was like, oh, they need someone else. Do you want to work? So I started working in coffee when I was 15. And by the time I graduated high school, you know, it still wasn't like I hadn't really gotten the bug. Like, I thought that it'd be cool to own a coffee shop like people do when they work in coffee shops. Totally. But I still kind of thought I needed to go to school, like go to college. And so I actually left Kansas City, went to Baltimore um, for college. And then when I moved back to the Midwest, I was like, dang, I really like that was my favorite job I ever had. Like, why Mm -hmm. am I running from that? And, you know, I graduated when the market was crashing and a liberal arts degree <laughs> only gets you, like, so far right, in right. 2008. <laughs> uh, I mean, gender studies definitely are coming into play more now, but still, yeah. like, what do you do with right, that? Right. So coffee. Yeah, so coffee. <laughs> so coffee visit, yeah. And um, Kansas City's coffee scene's always been really strong and great. There's a, a lot of pioneers from Kansas City that are in coffee. Um, but then competitions were a new thing, and... I didn't really understand much about them, but I did know that there was one component of making a signature drink. And it was the idea was like you they encourage culinary techniques. And this was before like mixologists were really on the rise, too. It was kind of before the whole cocktail wave. And so I was like, man, I can like make a drink that like I couldn't make at this coffee shop. And that just got my wheels turning. My first year I competed, I went to nationals. So I was a. I won. I didn't win our region, but I was a finalist, and then I nice. went and represented Missouri or the Midwest on the national stage. And the drink had like cheese in it and Whoa. mustard in it, and it was like so crazy. Like I laugh at it now, but like it was a sandwich. <laughs> was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drinking sandwiches over here. That's yeah, quite right? the coffee. <laughs> well, yeah. And so, but I just kept. I competed five more times, and I, um, I think the highest I ever got was I was placed twentieth in the nation. Um, That's but so they, cool. Yeah, it was. But it, it kind of just was my way to get 
creative with beverages before I really understood that that was what my path was going to be. entry point yeah. to the industry. And okay. then, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of crazy. Was the drink good? It was delicious. Okay, so what? take us through it. Like, <laughs> okay. what, what am so I... So I basically... <laughs> At the time, Christopher Elbow had just come out with his drinking chocolates, and we were one of the first cafes that was selling them. And so I really liked the idea of this, like, decadent chocolate drink, but instead of using chocolate, cooking down the espresso, because the espresso already has a very natural chocolate characteristic. And so I added a little Dijon to, like, I don't, because it's weird, but I also love Dijon mustard. <laughs> it's one of my favorite condiments. Um, and so it was like a little spicy, but not like, but not sandwichy. You know, like I didn't put in so much that you're like, oh, clearly there's Dijon in this. Like, like <laughs> what a Dijon expert. Maybe. Yeah, uh. yeah. But yeah, it just was to enhance the flavors, you know. Um, I used a little salt, which I thought now is so trendy with bartenders to put oh. salt in their drinks. Just thinking of it as it enhances flavors, but it doesn't necessarily make it salty. It just brings to life other things. And then I incorporated the cheese by making an anglaise sauce. So, like, traditionally, it's like a sweet with vanilla, kind of, Mm -hmm. like, light custard. And I used cheese as my base, which was uh, Delice de Bourgogne. I got it from Better Cheddar because that's where I, like... Nice shout out. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I like ate lunch there a lot by eating on the samples, like on my breaks from the latte land. Research. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it was just like like chocolate, spicy, creamy drink. And then I garnished it with a pear. Of course. Because why, why not? You, yeah. You know, to like clean your palate. So you're just experimenting. Then. Yeah. And I just like, that was just like my entry point. And obviously now, like I've been in the industry 17 years mm-hmm. and it's like, it's obviously grown and I've translated that to cocktails and won cocktail competitions and then transfer that same knowledge and how I think about wine. That's so cool. It seems like you, uh, there was a very clear, distinct way to drink coffee, drink, uh, cocktails drink beer uh kind of before this maker movement took off and it was sure you order um you know a whiskey tonic or Mm -hmm. whiskey ginger whatever Mm -hmm. uh, or you order a bud light right Um, and then it's like now people got creative either because they were forced to or just because it was something to do and then we get this huge explosion of um culture whatever you want to call it for sure and we have a place like Savan now. Right, which is awesome. Which is a good segue. What does Savan mean? Um, so Savan means what's up or how it goes in French, but it's also the answer. So if someone says, como ça va? You would say ça va, like it goes, or I'm fine. Oh. Or you could say huh. ça va bien, which I'm good. That's I did not realize yeah. that you could do... Both. So I mean, like, you can't do that with K-Pasa. 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 What's up? What's up? <laughs> but, I mean, you could, but yeah, it's not as like culturally like that. It doesn't the, quite make sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to start a place across the street from Savar called K-Pasa. Oh my God. I'll come over for <laughs> margarita, margarita bar. Yeah. I'm down. Okay. Well then, uh, for people who maybe haven't seen Wayne's World, because that's really where I get mo- <laughs> most of my education about champagne. What's the difference between champagne and sparkling wine? Uh, so what I always tell people, if there's like nothing else that they take away besides how to say the name of the bar, Sava, I'll just say it again <laughs> so every listener can know. Um, but champagne is a place in addition to a method of making wine. Um, it is a controlled AOC. So you have to grow your grapes and make your wine inside Champagne, France, which is pretty close to Paris. It's just a little north. Um, it's a region, right? It's a region. Okay. Yeah. And there's subregions and there's subcategories and there's you know, lots of like specific things about it that if you make wine there, you have to do it in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But that's the general. Like, it's a place that happens to have really awesome soil for making sparkling wine. Uh, sparkling wine can be made in the traditional method, which is how champagne has to be made to be called champagne. Or it can be made in, like, the tank method, which is how Prosecco is made. Mm-hmm. So Prosecco is this also, it is protected in Italy. There are levels of designation, but it's also the production method of getting the bubbles into the wine. And mm. it's a little different than champagne traditional method. What's the traditional method? Uh, so the secondary fermentation happens in the bottle. Mm. And so that each bottle gets its own bubbles happening. And then there's a way to like take out the yeast and to make sure the wine is like, you know, the correct sugar levels, et cetera, et cetera. And then Prosecco, it's kind of like a, I like to use like the terminology of like a chili pot. It's like all the still wine is together and then it gets bubbles that way and then they bottle it. Got it. Wow. Okay. Um, is there, <laughs> I, there's a science to tasting wine. Is there mm-hmm. a science to tasting champagne? Is it the same? It's the same. And I think that's a big thing that, I mean, Savah was kind of an, an early proponent of it, but just having consumers and guests take Treat champagne like any other wine. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it isn't just for New Year's. It's not just for Valentine's. It's for every day. And also, like, there's, it's, it is special and there's bubbles, but you don't have to, like, revere it differently than you do mm-hmm. a Chardonnay or a Pinot Noir. That's what I was going to say. It seems like, um, you say they're, they're, they're the same in how you, the science and tasting and everything, yeah. but to me, it seems like champagne is more accessible, either because it's uh, kind of, right. an, you see it at those celebrations or, um, I'm glad I don't you, know. I'm glad that you think it's accessible because yeah. <laughs> so many people I feel like that I encounter think of it as this like very like elite thing. Yeah. Um, but it is, I think people understand, can understand champagne and sparkling wine better maybe because there's something happening on your palate. It's not just like you don't have to like, I'm drinking this liquid. Now let me see what I can like magically pull out right. flavor notes. Notes of. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. with the bubbles, you're like, you have that experience. You're like, well, yeah, something obviously is happening in this wine because it's like tickling my mm-hmm. palate. It's like it goes really well with that cheese because of it or, you know, whatever. So I imagine being one of our, our only champagne bar, uh, you you have your presentation down pat. Yeah. You, you've, you've explained what you explained to <laughs> yeah. Drew and I over and over, I imagine. Yeah. Totally. Oh, for sure. And that's, I think, that's the thing that when I was in coffee or when I was in to agave and mezcal, like that's something that I think all tied together is that I really like learning about these beverages Mm -hmm. and I really like explaining them in a way that is accessible to people that don't necessarily want to know like every like little law that they have to have in champagne. They just want like the overview. And I really like breaking it down in a more digestible way, I guess. I mentioned that Savala is Casey's only champagne bar, at least for the moment. What's it like to be the only business in your category right now? I mean, it's cool. I think that's something in general that's really cool about Casey is that we are able to open these niche bars that have a really direct focus. And yeah, like we do have beer and we do have a back bar, but we don't have the biggest back bar. We don't have the biggest beer selection, but we have enough that, you know, someone in your party doesn't want bubbles. They can get something else. But also, we can be really focused. Like, we have grown our list to over 150 bottles. We're able to really, like, showcase and educate guests about it. And also, because Kansas City is still a smaller market, we're able to influence the market. Mm -hmm. Ever since we've opened, I've heard from multiple other restaurants and other wine bars that they now have to have at least two sparkling Mm -hmm. on their glass option because people are asking for it 
because they come in and they're like, well, Sabah has 12. Like, oh. I don't, like, why can't I at least that. get, <laughs> at least get like a good glass of bubbles at a restaurant, you the know? The bar has been raised. Yeah. Well, yeah that, that shows that people are becoming more aware of it. People mm-hmm. know they like it. Right. And then it's causing the other restaurants to be like, well, I guess we have to kind like, of do something here. Yeah, at least give them an offer, you mm-hmm. know, in that category. Mm-hmm. So that's probably had an effect on like how you approach day-to-day and year-to-year planning. Oh, for sure. I think, too, something that's a little crazy that we do that not... I mean, I don't, I'm insane, I guess. I change the glass list every week. So we're like constantly getting in new bubbles, constantly getting in. Like if we only get a case of something in that's at a, you know, a pretty affordable price point, we're just going to put it on the glass list. And once it's gone, it's gone. So that also gets gets consumers intrigued about coming in more often because they know there's something always new. Mm-hmm. Well, more exclusive. Yeah. Well, it keeps you probably light on your feet, too. It gives you something new to learn about and oh, something for to sure. kind of try out, see what works, see what doesn't. That kind and of it thing. gets it gets our staff excited. Like, it gets them engaged. And especially for people that are new to the team, the amount of knowledge that you have to learn to work at Savak can mm-hmm. be overwhelming. But at least that we're offering them, like, okay, every week you get to try, like, 10 to 12 new sparkling wines. And that also helps your education because you're, teaching your palate what do we I like and then figuring out that conversation not a bad way to learn drinking a bunch of different <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, it's, yes. it's pretty great I would say but the vibe there is also distinct and uh, we talk about this a lot whenever we welcome visitors or mm-hmm. newcomers to Kansas City and we're showing them around we like to also show them you know the things that they're, we're known for barbecue and jazz and fountains but places <laughs> also that they would expect not expect in the Midwest. Right. So we're talking about places like Rieger or Green Lady Lounge and uh, Monarch Coffee in Savah. Right. So how would you encapsulate the vibe of what you have built there? Well, it's so funny because it's happened so organically. But when I took over Savah, I had never been to France before. And I started like decorating, kind of like adding some touches. And everyone would always be like, well, this reminds me of like a little place in Paris. And, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, but we're in Kansas City and like, I'm not trying to be fake Paris. Mm -hmm. And then I've gone over there now. I'm like, oh, that's right. It kind (laughs) of is. It's like a place that you can stay a long time or you can just come in for a drink. I think it's really comfortable. Um, And I think that was something that was really important to uh, my co-owners and I of just making it not the Disneyland of champagne bars. Like, I don't want it to just be for bachelorette parties. Mm-hmm. I want it to be for someone after work, had a long day, you come in for a nice glass of wine and a cheese plate or a charcuterie mm-hmm. board. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the the coziness is, it is because our space is 700 square feet. You know, it is because we are a tinier place and people were quite surprised when we opened in Kansas City because it's Kansas City. We're the Midwest. It's mm-hmm. bigger is better, right? Mm-hmm. But it's cozy, but it's also like, it's the warmth with the staff, I think. The staff mm-hmm. is we really try not to be pretentious with our knowledge. We really try to be welcoming and, you know, there for everyone. Yeah. It seems like a very Casey approach to <laughs> having mm-hmm. a champagne bar. Which uh, right. I think it really shows. That's right. a really good way to put it because you don't uh, – Kansas City surprises people. Mm-hmm. I think Savas surprises you. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, you don't anticipate that they'll have, you know, a well-stocked bar mm-hmm. and uh, beer, but you fantastically do. Right. You wouldn't expect Julia Hale to sing there regularly, and she does. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't expect them to have a, a kick-ass brunch, and they do. Right. Right, but I think, too, yeah, just the approach of the Midwestern hospitality of, like, I don't know, it's not as syrupy as the Southern hospitality, <laughs> but it's it's still a real thing that I think we're all still trying to define, but it is a welcoming, and it is, like, you are coming into what I would imagine my Parisian apartment to look like, you yeah, know? Like, nice. come in, come in for the party, the more the merrier. Yeah. 
Um, so speaking about just uh, fitting in and every everything, uh, Westport is where, where Savah is. Mm-hmm. How do you see Savas fitting in with that neighborhood? Because there there are a lot of different um, outfits or faces or to Westport. There's right. the nightlife portion. There's the sort of day uh, brunch portion. So how do you how does Savah fit in there? I definitely think we're unique because a lot of people think of Westport as just like the place to like go out late night, 3 a.m. bars, party, party. But they kind of forget about the restaurants. They forget that places have food and they forget that like we have some really awesome like cocktail and like higher end dining options. Blue Sims in Westport for oh, God's yeah. sakes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's cool. I mean, my parents met in Westport in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So I've like grown up like knowing all of these stories and different incarnations of the neighborhood. And I I was really happy to be a part of it when I was at Port Fonda because that was, I think, kind of the first Let's bring back the restaurants. Let's focus on that. Let's focus on like a niche market. And then Julep and Savoy came along. And I think that that our whole little block right there is awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is unexpected. But it also opens up Westport, I think, to an older demographic that might have been scared about like, uh, like, I'm just going to have to deal with like drunk frat boys. Yeah. And it's like, no, you I mean, yes, there are bars that you can deal with that. But also there's like pockets that are a little bit more older demographic and just not in for the woo woo but no. for like we're enjoying a, a nice night out mm-hmm. like we want a nice bottle of wine mm-hmm. it is it, it is interesting because there it, it's that corner right there where it you cross over and julep is right there and then right there is uh port fonda and then savah and well, i mean i'm th- you, you started you tell me that and i'm thinking like some of my favorite restaurants are mm-hmm. in, yeah. in westport and mm-hmm. then some of my favorite places just hang out are right. also in westport yeah. and uh i think a lot of times it can get lost in the shuffle of just like uh, the party place or where they right. shut the streets down and you have to go uh, pay cover and force your way into a bar. And that's right. not the way it is. Right. I mean, yeah, I think that's the cool thing about Westport. There's lots of different experiences you can have. There's lots of different dining options and clothing stores now. Like it's a fun, vibrant neighborhood and it always has been in Kansas City. So I'm glad to see that it is still alive and diverse, you know. Totally. When we talked with Ryan, maybe he, um, he told us that Savah may be the best champagne bar in the country. And that's obviously a high compliment coming mm-hmm. from someone like him. We also had a writer here um, from Food Republic. Mm-hmm. And she said, you do not understand how small of a circle it is of champagne bars in the country, let alone female ran champagne mm-hmm. bar con- in the country. How does the, those phrases sit with you? And who do yourself competing with against both in and outside of KC? I mean, a lot of question, but right. I mean, I think (laughs) it's awesome. I mean, I think that when we opened Savoy, we really set it to be kind of this like beacon, not only for Kansas City, but also for champagne bars. Because Howard and I, my co partner, but also my life partner, we travel a lot and we always go check out wine bars. I mean, always if there's a town that has a champagne bar, like we've probably seen it. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us, we realized that there was this niche of. Yeah, like you can have really great food and really great wine and not have that attitude and not have that, you know, cold approach. And so for us, like I I knew that we wanted to be that, but it's really cool to hear that it's, you know, four years now and we are really making that mark. There are some places that I go to in New York. Um, one of my friends, Ariel Ace, she just opened Ayers Champagne Parlor um, in Greenwich. Um, she has always been into bubble. She's been a wine director at a couple of different places that focus on champagne. So she's someone that like anytime I'm in New York, we definitely like catch up and I'm like, what wines are you excited about? Because that's the one challenge we've had in, in our market is 
New York and San Francisco still do get some of that exclusivity just because, I mean, they don't make that much bubbles. So if they mm-hmm. make 500 cases, like, and only America gets 200, like, we might not get, see any in mm-hmm. the Midwest, which we are changing and we've, you know, been able to expand since then. But she's definitely one. Um, I'm really excited to go back to New York and check out Danny Meyer's new um, it's, I think it's like an Osteria, uh, but it's called Vinny Fritti and it's bubbles with like Italian fried snacks. Whoa. You had me at fried. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's in the same building that his, uh, Roman style pizza champagne places at. Ugh. And so, and the executive chef and sous chef from the pizza place who helped open the new place have been to Kansas city. They've been to Savall. They've been to the Rieger. So it's also cool when I was seeing when I got to see kind of sneak peeks of their build out, I was like, oh, I see that you like the same marble we do. Like, you know, there's like little touches that, you know, like it's cool to like, oh, you've been to our place and you're also you respect enough to like maybe mm-hmm. steal some aesthetics from us. So when can we expect the uh, Italian fried oh snacks? God, not <laughs> yeah, soon exactly, enough. What exactly is an Italian fried snack? I mean, it's like like fried anchovies oh. and like Frito Misto and like, I mean, that's Spanish, of course, but yeah. And like then just oysters on the half shell too. Oh, God. Wow. I know. Wow. I'd be into it though. Yeah. Not I mean, soon enough I'm, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love that because basically what you're saying is that you compared yourself. You, you said how is everyone else in the country doing it versus because right. there's no one else to look to in Kansas City. Right. So you have to put yourself automatically up against everybody, and you're right there with them. Right. That's so cool. It is cool. I mean, it, it's also great for Kansas City because I think you know for so long. I didn't think I wanted to grow up or stay here as an adult. And if someone would have told me when I was 15, oh, by the time you're 30, you're going to own a bar in Westport mm-hmm. that focuses on wine, I would have been like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to be living on a coast. Like, I'm not going to be back in KC and Westport. <laughs> like, no way. And now I am. And that's I think that's really awesome for KC. So what's the next big cocktail bar nightlife trend on KC's horizon? Oof. I don't know. I think I would really like to see... Like a dive bar that like can just make a good old fashioned. Oh, like, interesting. You know, like yeah, it has a jukebox. Maybe there's some dartboards mm-hmm. or shuffleboard. Mm-hmm. You can get lots of yard beer, but you could also get like a really decent cocktail. It's a really interesting good idea. Have you I been know. to Shea Charlie? Y- yes. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce <laughs> I mean, it. That's a dive bar, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I mean, I just don't. You can't get a good old fashioned oh, no, no, there. No, no, you no. know, like. But that is like I love that dive yeah. bar and I love that jukebox. Um, but yeah, I would not think, get a. Like, Better Intentions in Chicago is one that I think of, like, it's just, like, casual, but then, like, you can get a really awesome cocktail mm-hmm. if you want it, mm-hmm. you know? Because there are some places where that are divey or divier where you almost, I would not even want to order an old-fashioned because I just feel like it's too much effort or... Or you're going to put out the bartender. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, like, right. that, you know. So, also, in that regard, it's, like, a dive bar with, like, just a little bit elevated hospitality. Mm-hmm. Like, not having the surly person behind the bar that's going to growl at you if you like one time I'm going to keep ordering whiskey shots or something right. like mm-hmm. but yeah I don't know I think that'd be really cool to see in case it seems a tough uh, balance to, to make but I'm sure that there's there's something out oh, there oh for sure or like Holiday Cocktail Lounge in New York like oh, yeah yeah. <laughs> I know, last time we were in New York we were there that was, that was <laughs> awesome like but yeah just a relaxed feel but like you can get I don't know better than making your own old-fashioned home. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, mm-hmm. sure, just above that. Yeah. <laughs> so although you're in the champagne and wine world right now, I imagine you still like making creative cocktails. Yeah. And you guys have a really good cocktail list. Where does that inspiration come from? Um, so 
for me, when I first started at Savai, I kind of was like, I'm over cocktails. I just don't want to do it. But it is a good gateway. And I get that. Wine scares people. Like, so what I kind of said early on, and we've stayed true to it, is that any of the cocktails on the Savoy menu have some element of sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're more than just your classic champagne cocktail that's like bitters and bubbles. Um, you know, I look to a lot of what they're doing at the Rieger. I mean, I think that that bar menu seasonally is always so innovative. Mm-hmm. And I think they really utilize Howard's opinion about some techniques with food. I also, like, look to see what Monarch's doing, Monarch Bar. Like, Mm -hmm. they are for sure pressing the envelope so much. Oh, my gosh. Um, And then, too, you know, I don't drink a ton of cocktails when I'm in town, but when I travel, like, I always want to check out that cocktail bar. So seeing some of that stuff. Uh, But definitely a lot of it goes back to more artisanal spirits, having a connection with, like, either if it's agave and mezcal and, like, who is making that, like, and knowing kind of the story behind it. Um, but also even just like, you know, using Jay Rieger products, like mm-hmm. understanding like the importance of like Tom Nichols gin and like how cool that is to have in Kansas city. Uh, but just kind of having, you know, farm to table ish, but that sort of approach yeah. to cocktails. I think we, people really value that. Here oh, completely. Too. Uh, brush. We've talked a little bit about the menu and the food offerings mm-hmm. at Savah. What kind of role does food play with champagne? I mean, you know. Howard would say that uh, you should not drink champagne without eating food. You know, like he's (laughs) such a chef in that regard. But I think, too, it is for me, champagne is and sparkling wine are the best food pairing wines. Like if you don't know what to get or if you're out to eat and everyone at the table is getting something different and they're very different flavors, get a bottle of champagne and it will go with everyone's food. So I think, too, just saying that, I mean, I think, of course, like all of our snacks go great with it. But I think that people are surprised to see like French fries and champagne. Like it, it, it yeah, it's like a low brow, high brow like pairing, but it works. Like mm-hmm. it's salty, and then the bubbles are refreshing. Mm-hmm. Well, and French fries, French, France, <laughs> champagne. Come on, literally. I mean, Treats. Give me yeah. a break. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and like you know, I think too one of my favorite food items that's about is the cheese board because we're always trying to find new Midwestern producers, and green dirt is oh, yeah. like I mean. I've taught, this will be my fourth year now, but I teach a cheese and champagne class with Sarah Hoffman up, up at the farm. And it is my favorite event I do all year. Like, that sounds awesome. Like we always get a, like they always put like an R&D cheese that maybe we haven't had yet. And then just listening to her talk about green dirt and her approach to cheese making. And I'm just like, oh, now I have to talk about bubbles. Okay. Sorry. I can't fangirl anymore. Like, but I've never think- heard anyone talk <laughs> anything but like glowingly about green dirt they're yeah. just like every, everything I try from them is so good it is and I think too it's one of those things that shows off the midwestern ties to our menu because it could it could have been really easy just to do like escargot and just like classic French bistro food and not give it much thought but we really want to showcase the farmers and the land in the same way we do with the wine on the food menu well it's a little bit of regionalism too because oh, sure. they're, they're a little further up north and um, it's a little bit of the rural side of Kansas City we're on a farm, yeah. We're on a farm, yeah. But I think that's a cool thing about Kansas City, and I think that's a cool thing that Howard and I try to do with the Rieger and Savah is we go on farm tours with our staff. We're mm-hmm. like, this that's is wh- this is where like our pigs come from. This mm-hmm. is where our tomatoes come from. And really having a connection with the farmers and like 
knowing their grandkids' names and that they celebrate Christmas every year with us. You know, like mm-hmm. having those connections and how we can really support the local food system is really cool. I'm sure it means a lot to them and it helps um, right. create a better experience for you guys. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, I'll be quick. Okay. I can do this. Uh, but you can, you can elaborate as much as you want, but I'm just going to ask them really fast. Okay. Um, <laughs> first one, this actually is not on the list. Dijon mustard, you've already said. Mm-hmm. What is at the top? Oof, no way. Mayo. Mayo. Okay, oh. so what's your what's your brand? Make it yourself, yo. Oh. Okay, so I've heard Dukes is the one that everyone oh, yeah, swears no. by, but how do you how do you make it? Just like eggs and oil, whip it, whip it, whip it. Oh and then gosh. if you want to make it aioli, you add a little leaven, a little garlic. That's what people when people say like wow. uh I don't wow. like mayo, but they love aioli is like that's Pretty it's much just mayo. Same. Yeah. It's just flavored mayo. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dijon mustard for sure is up there. Cool. Gates extra hot barbecue sauce uh, is my secret ingredient in my Bloody Marys. Just wow. so you all know that now. Damn good Bloody Marys. That's um, good now. And then just hot sauce. Yeah. Uh, what kind of hot sauce? All over the place. Um, right now, I'm loving this green hot sauce they make at Tacos El Gallo on the boulevard. Oh. It's like spicy, spicy, spicy avocado and lime. Yum. Yeah. That's good. Sounds very good. Okay. What is the best sparkling wine for New Year's Eve? Um, it depends on. I mean, okay, let's see. Let me scratch. 2002 Grand Cru Champagne. Like, oh. I mean, that's like such a good vintage. It's like my favorite vintage right now. Uh, but, you know, anything from that family, real champagne, Grand Cru. So closing out the year, beginning the new one, yeah. that's what you want to have in that's, your glass. I mean, that's what I had last year was the Pierre Peters, like, special cuvee, 2002, and it it was perfect. 2002, I wonder what was so good about it. Is it just the uh, soil or the... The climate, too. If okay. they have, like, a late frost and it's still warm nights, like, you know, sort of the, sort mm-hmm. of the thing. But, yeah. Good to know, 2002. Uh, is Boone's Farm champagne? No. Okay, well, I need to uh, <laughs> talk to the person that sold me that. <laughs> I have been fooled. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the best champagne you've ever had? This You might have already answered oh, that man. with just the one you just... I know. Let's see. I could think of another one. The best champagne I've ever had. I think my the best champagne experience I ever had was sharing uh, one of my favorite producers before I even met them. Uh, Jacusan, uh, Champagne 734 Extended Tourage. The owner of the house actually popped a magnum of it at Savah two years ago, and that was just so cool mm-hmm. Like wow. to drink that champagne that I already loved with someone that I admire in the industry at my bar in Kansas City. I'm just like... Yeah, I'm amazed that, that you were able to remember all of those different <laughs> numbers and names. <laughs> Be like that that one that looked like that. Yeah, um, I take pictures too. I, okay, I like cheat okay. sheet on my phone. I don't remember at okay. all. You were studying before yeah, you came. Yeah, exactly. It's like okay, what was that one? They're probably going to ask you that question. Um, have you ever met anyone named Brut? <laughs> Brute? Brut? Brute? Brute? <laughs> I've never met anyone named Brute. <laughs> I will Shows how much I drink champagne. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm a real... Uh... You're a connoisseur, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I like it. I will say this past fall in New York, I went to a woman in wine symposium, and I met a woman named Saber, which Ooh. that's how you open the bottle of wine with the knife or mm-hmm. the sword. Mm-hmm. And she sat next to me and we're like, hi, I'm Caitlin from Kansas City. I have a champagne bar. She was like... My name's Saber, and champagne's my thing. And I was like, well, of, oh, course, of course it is. Well, like, <laughs> it was, like, preordained by well, yeah, do you, yeah. do you think it was fate, or do you think she I, changed her name? Oh, she did not. I asked her that. She did not change her name. No way. Yeah, so yeah. It, she turned 18, and it was either knighthood. 
or champagne. An assassin. Yeah, right. Knighthood. <laughs> yeah. There's only two spy. to yeah. That's really all you got. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, I think she made the safest, uh, most legal uh, decision out of that. Uh, legal schmeagle. Yeah. I think Brute's actually kind of a cool name now that I know how to pronounce it. Um, what is the best food to eat while drinking champagne? Oof. Cheese. What kind of cheese? Kraft American? Um, no. Um, my favorite is the Green Dirt Farm Bassa. It's a washed rind. It's kind of a stinky cheese, okay. but it's Ooh. like really floral uh, when you eat it, and it just goes great with bubbles. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll have to try that. Uh, can I add sparkling water to white wine and call it champagne? Sure. You can do that. Okay. <laughs> Do people do it? Uh, no. I mean, that, but that would that... be like a spritz or something. You there know, we go. They call it okay. like, yeah. What if I was in champagne? They the would region? laugh at you and be like, stupid American. I'd be like, you know what? Please don't say you're from Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say I'm from the, the States. Yeah. Well, you know which ones. <laughs> well, okay. So, did, did, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we so. sign off? Um, I don't know. Thanks for joining yeah. us. This has been yeah. a lot of fun. Bubbly, even. Sorry for the brut comment. <laughs> I've mispronounced a lot of words today. And I don't regret any of them. Uh, like I said before. Uh, At least you know how to say Savah now. Yeah, I know how to say Savah. Uh, I took Spanish in high school, so I did not take French. But uh, thank you so much, Caitlin Corcoran, for joining us, Savah. Uh, really appreciate it. <laughs> Cheers. That's all for this episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for show updates, extras, and more. And remember to subscribe and rate us on your preferred platform. Special thanks to MMGY Global and to Kevin McLeod for Speakeasy's theme music.